Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. So uh, as I'm getting set up this morning, I just want to, is anyone ready for Christmas? Like I saw a cold outside and I got in my car. I uh, put on some Christmas music this morning and I was like, I'm ready to go. Uh, so let me get set up here, get my Google Doc open. Okay, so Drew told me to do a little introduction about myself. So my name is Colton Solens. I am the intern youth minister here at uh, Clifton Church of Christ, not Cinco Church of Christ. Um, and I, I, I'm from Eden, Oklahoma. That's where I was born. And I moved to Katy, Texas in 2018. Um, Drew was my youth minister at Cinco Ranch Church of Christ, which was the church I attended there. And so that's how I have, I have that connection with him. Um, and some of you may know me, some may not know me as well. To the youth group kids, I'm just the guy who puts together lessons and does live groups with them. Um, but to people like Floyd Rogers, I need a haircut. Um, and <laughs> and uh, from a freshman orientation class, I learned that uh, how we learn is how we teach. And so I'm a visual learner, and so I will teach visually, and I'm going to do my best to kind of help you all along that way if that's not how you learn. And uh, hopefully... From this, what I'm going to say this morning, y'all will learn something about me from this. So, okay, there we go. Okay, so how many of y'all have had that feeling before, let's say, a big job interview where you're like, you're really nervous, you're anxious, you're worried that this might not go well, so maybe you just completely avoid the interview? Or at a big race at a track meet, and you have the pressure of your team, your coach, all on you, and you get really nervous, and maybe you just don't run the race. Or maybe it's an adventure into an unfamiliar territory, and you feel like that feeling of discomfort, and so you avoid it. Or it's a family gathering where there's an elephant in the room that everybody knows about, but nobody wants to talk about it. All of these are individual dragons that we need to face. And so the first time I heard of this idea of slaying our dragons was for a project I did senior year of high school. We had to pick something in our lives that we felt we needed to face that was negatively impacting our lives. For me, that was people-pleasing. Uh, and I, I saw how that negatively affected my confidence as I was going to work, at school, and in life in general. We had to pick some visual representation for this, this monster, too. And I had some of my friends, they picked like big giant spiders or big gorillas that were destroying town, something like that. But I picked a cow, and it was a zombie cow. And for me, cows are simple creatures who won't confront anything in their lives and will just end up becoming hamburgers or making milk, stuff like that. And, uh, and we had to pick a name for our creature, and I chose the name Parabellum, which if you don't know, Parabellum is Latin for prepare for war. And that was exactly what I wanted to do with my dragon, go to war with it. And I paid extra close attention to this lecture, or the, the lesson, because of a lecture I heard of a man Jordan Peterson give. Now, if y'all don't know who Jordan Peterson is, he is a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Toronto. And when I used to deliver pizzas in high school, I would listen to his lectures um, because of how he articulates his words and how deep in topics uh, that he goes. Uh, but this one lecture in particular, he was giving to a group of Toronto alumni. And it was, it's kind of ironic because he was reading a children's book 
to to them. He's it's a picture book meant for kids, and I bought it and I've been reading it to Landry, Joe, and Marshall for our, the night time before bed, and they seem to really like it. Um, but there's an underlying meaning in this book, and so the book is called "There's No Such Thing as a Dragon" by Jack Kent. In the book, it starts off in the morning with this kid named Billy Bixby. He wakes up and he sees a dragon at the foot of his bed. Now, if any of y'all, if you just picture in your mind, you wake up one morning and you see a dragon like on the foot of your bed, you know, it'd be pretty crazy. And as any little kid does, he goes downstairs, tells his mom, hey, there's a dragon in my bed. And as any mom would say, there's no such thing as a dragon, right? And so he goes throughout his day, he gets dressed, he goes down to breakfast, the dragon grows a little bit as the morning goes on. And so he goes downstairs, eats breakfast, Billy sits at the table, and the dragon sits on the table, but his mom says there's no such thing as a dragon, so he doesn't tell it to get off the table. And he goes out the day, he's getting dressed, he's ready to go, and the dragon grows just a little bit more to about the size of his mother. And eventually the dragon keeps growing, it keeps growing, it keeps growing, the mom's trying to clean, she's having to go in and out of houses, or the, the windows, to get around this dragon. And eventually the dragon grows so big, where it picks up the house from its very foundation and moves it down the street. And the dad comes home, Mr. Bixby, he comes home and he sees that his house is gone and his neighbor's like, oh, it went that way. So he drives his car to the place where the house is at and he sees his family in the upstairs window, he sees the dragon, he goes up, he meets his family and the significance of this book comes at the last page. Whenever they're in the house, the dragon has begun to shrink again, about the size of a kitten where it was originally. And the mom says, why did it have to grow so big? And Billy responds with, maybe it just wanted to be noticed. Now Jordan Peterson has a great way to summarize the, the meaning of this book. He says, don't ever underestimate the destructive power of sins of omission. Now this is just a fancy way to say Things that get brushed under the rug have a life of their own. And so, to look into the nature of what a dragon is, Peterson is quoted as saying, Why would a dragon hoard gold? Now, if any of y'all had read books or seen movies where there's dragons in them, like uh, for the youth group kids, Shrek, right? What a, Shrek has to go, he faces the dragon to get Fiona. And for those who may not be a Gen Zer, uh, Sleeping Beauty, right? The prince goes out, he slays the dragon to get and save whatever the princess's name is and go save her, right? And so he continues on by saying, because a dragon represents everything you're afraid of, what's embedded in everything that you're afraid of, absolutely everything that you need to find. Run from, a, from what you're afraid of, Run from exactly what you need to find. So this is the nature of a dragon. If a dragon is an animal, then it grows, whether you want it to or not. And it will grow until it's forced to be noticed, like the book says. Alright, so now we're going to get into... Oh, I forgot to tell you all. The verses we're in are Matthew 26, verses 36 to 42. That's what we're going to be in this morning. And then we'll get into Matthew 28 later. Alright, and so we're in Matthew 26. Uh, it's where, when Jesus, he's in the garden... Uh, beginning ready to be crucified. The Garden of Gethsemane, as Drew told me that's how it's pronounced. Uh, in the Bible, it's a poetic book. Poetic as any book could be, right? And so we have the setting here of Jesus in the garden. And what could the significance of that be? So if you can picture a garden, right? Gardens, beautiful flowers, beautiful plants around them, but when you really look down in that garden, there can be these weeds that go unnoticed, that grow until they, they rip the, the garden of its strength. And the only way to truly get rid of those weeds is to uproot them. You have to dig deep and uproot them. 
So now we're going to get into Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let the cup pass from me. Never, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so we see Jesus in verse 27, er, 37 says he was very sorrowful and troubled. troubled. And so here's the weed, right? Here comes a dragon that's grown. It's being forced to be noticed. And Jesus tells his disciples that he ha he's invited Peter, James, and John, that his soul is sorrowful even to death. And so I like to think of this part of the Bible, it really humanizes Jesus in a way, right? He's on his knees praying to God, and he asks that this cup be passed from him. Now, it isn't like a cup of water or a cup of wine. It's a cup that represents suffering. And as any human being, who wouldn't want this cup to be, be passed from him? He's about to go and enter God's judgment, and any of us would want that cup to be passed from us. And so a way I would like to visualize this for y'all is... Uh, movie The Lion King and hopefully y'all have seen it uh, if you haven't spoiler alert but it's been out for 28 years so that's kind of on y'all um, and so we see this part uh, so when Simba the lion when he's faced with uh, confronting uh, Simba runs the confrontation in his life he decides to run Simba goes off he lives his carefree life with his dopey friends and he gets met with a blast from the past and at this moment, he comes to a realization, and then he's just down, down in the dump. He realizes, you know, he has something he needs to face. And right before Simba's about to go face Scar, uh, his, his evil uncle, uh, which is another dragon in his own sense, he's met with this cloud in the sky. That's his father, Mufasa, who's passed away. And Mufasa tells Simba here three things. He says, to remember who you are, you are my son, and the one true king. And with this, Simba, he's revamped, he's ready to go. And we don't receive any dialogue from God to Jesus. But what I'd like to picture is, you know, God is saying, you know, you're my son. I sent you here for this purpose. And whether you want to run from it or not, you don't really have an option. This is what you were sent to do. And, right, so if this is like God to Jesus. Mufasa to Simba is God to Jesus. And now we're going to get into Matthew 26 verses 40 to 42. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch me with one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So we find Jesus, he goes to check on his disciples, he finds them sleeping. Um, now, if any of y'all were going through something like this, something that you were tr troubled and sorrowful, even to death, like Jesus says, uh, you would want, you know, your nuclear family, your friends, the people you talk to and were with around every single day to be there with you. But he finds his disciples sleeping. But for me, I can kind of relate to the disciples here falling asleep like that. Whenever we were moving from, it's kind of a side story, but whenever we were moving to Oklahoma to Texas, um, We'd woken up really early. We went back to Houston, or to, to Enid, to go get all of our stuff. And it was me and my dad and my dad's cousin. And I was in the U-Haul with my dad's cousin. It was really late. We uh, were stopping right before the Texas border in Ardmore, Oklahoma, which some of y'all know about Ardmore. And uh, 
I was supposed to be finding us a motel, but I ended up falling asleep. And then my dad's cousin, he's like, Colton, get up. He slapped me awake, and we didn't eventually make it to the motel. And uh, so it's just a side story. But uh, anyway, so Jesus, he goes and talks to Peter, and he goes back to talk to God. And Jesus prays this again. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, you will be done. So right here, Jesus accepts what's about to happen to him and is prepared to endure it. Jesus prepares to face his dragon. In life, when there is a dragon to face, we can learn a major lesson from Jesus and face it. Be ready to be prepared to endure it. And now, uh, in between 26 and 28, this is when Jesus is crucified. When Jesus, he's facing his dragon. And so, our Western society, our Western culture, is based on the idea that a man like Jesus was brutalized and beaten and placed on a cross by his own people. And what we get from that is, you know, life is suffering. Isn't that, you know, the Bible tells us that. The, the Israelites, their exodus, in the beginning of Joseph's life, when his brothers plotted murder against him, and so many more examples. Life is suffering. And as we move into chapter 28, we see what becomes of the endured suffering. Matthew 28:6. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. In Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And now because of Jesus' sacrifice and what he did on the cross, we're now welcomed in God's kingdom by giving our lives to and accepting Christ. He gave his life for us, so we should give our lives to him. Another point to get from this fact is what became of Jesus after he slayed his dragon. Something absolutely incredible. Something truly amazing. And I believe God places situations in our life for us to face. Like when Joseph was in prison, God didn't just open the gate and allow Joseph to escape. He allowed Joseph to be in prison and use that situation to better his life. And he even had people there with him, the cupbearer and the baker, that allowed Joseph to make the betterment of his negative situation. And now, the last point I want to make here is that sometimes it feels good to be in the dragon. And what I mean by this is to be, if your dragon is sin, to be in the sin. Uh, and there's something about sin that draws us back to it for some reason, but as Charles Spurgeon talks a lot about, it's not fulfilling. Only Jesus can fill that yearning. So uh, if any of y'all have a dragon that needs facing, I want you to look around in this building. You're in the perfect place to do it. There's people around you who will be willing to have a conversation with y'all and help y'all go through that. And through surrendering to God and through his will, we won't go through our dragons alone. He's our God and we are his people. And if someone came up to me and asked me if their dragon was just so it happened to be like something like public speaking, what I would tell them is you're going to pray to God for confidence. And God isn't just going to snap your, his fingers right and be like, all right, you're confident now. He's going to place situations in your life to make you confident. And so what I would also tell them is, you know, go teach three middle school boys on Sunday morning about the Bible. And then when the preacher's out for a weekend, you say yes to preaching the sermon and being thrown in the deep end. And you ask for this confidence, not for what it can do to you, but what you can do for God and do for others. And so... Uh, there will be elders at the doors who will be willing to have conversations with y'all about this. And if y'all want to talk to me, I'd love to have a conversation with this. And so uh, as you exit, I just want to let y'all know to go out and slay your dragons.